Well, the scripture uh, we have here today is going to be in the book of Galatians in chapter 4. And we're actually going to be looking at uh, just a few short verses, verses 4 through 7 here today. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And that's on page 944 in the Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along there. It's going to be a little bit different wording between the Bible I'm reading and the Bible that's in the pew, but it's still God's Word and you'll be able to follow along. So Galatians 4, 4 through 7 here. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Well, most of you know, before my wife and I got into ministry, after college, we jumped into the social work workforce. Uh, We were social workers for about three years. We both licensed foster homes. And if you know of anybody that's licensed a foster home, what you go through is you make sure that the home that the person is staying in is safe, is ready for a child. The foster home uh, opens their doors for a child that's going to come through. And they may stay with that family a few months and go back to the family uh, that, they, uh, that they were born into, or a lot of times they would then go to a family that wanted to adopt them. And this adoption was a very important process that we saw families go through. And while I was licensing foster homes, I had co-workers that were going to court and advocating for the children in our care. They were going to court and they were telling the judge about how the child was doing, how the foster parents were doing, how the parents that the child came from were doing, and if they recommend that maybe the children go back home or the children go to adoption. And there was one judge I heard, I'm I'm not joking, every day I heard this judge's name in the office and it was never said in a positive note, and that was Judge Pittman. So if you ever move to Muskegon County in Michigan, don't mess up because you might get Judge Pittman. And Judge Pittman was a tough judge. I mean, we had uh, co-workers there in my office. They would talk about, okay, I got court today. Who's your judge? Oh, the judge I'm going to is Judge Pittman. Oh, man, do you have all your stuff prepared? Do you know what you're going to say? Do you have everything ready? Because Judge Pittman is a tough judge. So I found out that one of the homes that I licensed was going to adopt the kids that were in their care, and I was invited to that process there at the courthouse. Guess what judge they had in front of them? Judge Pittman. And when I heard that name, that Judge Pittman was going to oversee these kids' adoption process, my stomach sank because I thought, oh boy, he's a tough judge. And I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was show up, sit in the back and watch the whole thing unfold. And so I was waiting for Judge Pittman to come out and just be this this big, dark force in the room or something. And when that man walked out, we heard the bailiff say, all rise for the Honorable Judge Pittman. We all stood up, and I'm not joking, the man was practically dancing when he was coming out of his office. He looked at the bailiff and he said, Bailiff, I love Adoption Day. 
And then he looked at us, and he said, I love Adoption Day. And then he looked at the family, I love Adoption Day. And he said, every day I come in this courthouse and I have to issue a judgment for somebody to pay a fine or go to jail. I have to listen to somebody complain about the law. But he said, on adoption day, and he started to beat his bench just like this, on adoption day, I get to do something special for a family. Are we ready to get adopted? And he looked at the two little girls that were being adopted that day and he said, are you two ready to be adopted by this family? And Oh my goodness, those were the sweetest little girls I'd ever met, and they nodded their head. So what went from this, you know, I thought the judge was going to be mean, I thought this was going to be an arduous process, all of a sudden, it was a beautiful moment. All of a sudden, I saw this judge, he didn't just uh, come in to do his job, he wanted to see these girls adopted by the family that they were going into. But before he could do that, we had to go through the legal proceedings of adoption. He had to go through. He had to get a witness. He had to get signatures. He had to give a ruling based on the witnesses. They had to sign papers. They had to do all of this before he could bane that gavel and say, you two are now adopted. You two are members of this family. And so we had to sit through that process, and it was a beautiful process that we had to go through. Even though I had no clue what was going on, the judge knew what was happening, the lawyers knew what was happening, the family knew what was happening. Well, this is what happens when we're adopted by God the Father. God walks in and he says to us, I love adoption day. I want you to be a part of my family. But it doesn't just happen like that. You know, God doesn't just come in and say, okay, now you're a part of the family. There was a legal process that had to occur. And Paul, in this letter to the Galatian church, he's trying to explain to them, this is the process that you guys went through in order for God to adopt you into your family. And so in just a few short verses, we're actually looking at a legal process that God put us through so that we could be called his children. And the first thing that Paul talks about in, in, in verse 4 and 5 is he's talking about what it meant for Jesus to be born into this world, what it meant for God to send his son. Well, the first thing that it meant is the fullness of time, is the words that Paul uses. Another way of putting it is at just the right time. At just the right time, God sent his son into this world. And when Paul uses that phrase, fullness of time, How he's using it is he's saying that there was a beginning and there was an end, but people didn't know when that end point time was. And so there was a lot of waiting for his people. You read through the whole Old Testament and people are waiting for God to come and free his people. They're waiting for God's presence. They're waiting for God to send his Messiah. And it's waiting, waiting, waiting for God to show up. But at just the right time, he showed up. To give you an example of what it was like for waiting, uh, tomorrow evening there's a team playing that's from Wisconsin. What, what's, they're from Green Bay. What's their names again? Oh, Packers, I knew it. They're playing Monday night football tomorrow night, and I know a vast majority of, of you in this room know what channel it's on. What channel is it on? Oh, maybe you don't. Does anybody know? 
<laughs> the NFL. It's going to be on ESPN. ESPN is airing the football game. It's Monday night football. Does anybody know what time that game is set to kick off? What's that? 7.15. Somebody got it right. And I only know this because I Googled it just before I got up here. They are set to kick off at 7.15 tomorrow night, but something's going to happen before they kick off. It's called the pregame show. And I was just hearing a comedian the other day talk about this. He said the pregame show used to be just like a half hour long, and you would go over, well, who's set to be the starters for the game, and do you think Aaron Rodgers has it in him to win this game? How are the Packers doing this season? Okay, 7.15, let's kick off. But now the pregame show's there's already pregame shows on today covering the games that happened yesterday, the games that are going to happen today. And if you're ever sick on a Sunday and you sit through that pregame show, it's a lot of waiting. And, you, and it's waiting, and it's waiting, and it's waiting, and it's more waiting for just the right time to happen. And you're going to go through that tomorrow evening. You're going to turn on ESPN early because I do the same thing. All right, game's at 7.15. Let me turn it on at 7 o'clock. They might decide the, to start the game early. Have they ever done that in the history of the NFL? Never. But you still go to the TV, you turn it on early, you have your bucket of popcorn, you have your soda, and you sit and you wait for kickoff to happen, and it doesn't happen. And then by the time you finish your popcorn and your soda, and you have to go use the restroom, that's about the time kickoff happens. That's at 7.15. Well, that's the waiting that Israel went through in order to receive Jesus into this world. They waited and they waited and they waited. There's a lot of patience that goes into waiting for God's timing. Not just then, but even now in our own lives, as God promise us, promises us where we're going to go, what we're going to do, as God is calling us into certain ministries, sometimes it's a feeling of, all right, hurry up and wait. And that's the trust that we put in God is that his timing is perfect. His timing is going to be at just the right time. Well, that's Jesus' timing in coming into this world. There was waiting, waiting, waiting at just the right time Jesus came into this world. God prepped all of history to receive him when the world received him. Well, not only that, God didn't just prep the timing. God sent somebody special to be his representative in the world, and that was his son, now, we could spend, by the way, all of these phrases I'm probably going to say we can spend a whole sermon on, because we could, but this one particularly, we could send, spend a whole sermon on talking about what it means for Jesus to be God's son and what it means for him to be God's representative in this world. In Jewish tradition, in ancient Palestine, it was very common for a father to send his children ahead of him to give messages to people that were on their property, in their business. Maybe they were doing trading in the marketplace, and the father would say, listen, I have a deal set up that we need to trade so many goats for wheat this season. Why don't you take them into town, make the trade, you'll be my representative. And what happened without fail is the son, and it was the son that would show up on the father's behalf 
and he would go and he would do business for his father as if though he was his father in that place. Jesus references this throughout his ministry. When he talks about how God is his father, he's saying, I am God's direct representative. I am here on God's behalf. So when we hear that phrase, the Son of God, what we're actually hearing is Jesus is God's representative. What's more than that, Jesus is God. So not only is Jesus God's representative, Jesus is God. It's just the best phrase we can use is he is the Son of God. And so when Paul says at just the right time God sent forth his Son, What he's saying is God was waiting for the right time that he could show up and meet with his people and save his people and fix the problems that were happening in the world. And so he does that. He sends forth his son to be his representative to us. That's what the Christmas season is about. This is called the incarnation. When Jesus comes into the world and presents himself just as God is. You know, this is very important because sometimes we'll have the question, well, what is God like? What's God's character? Does he really love me? And the truth is, if you just open up to the Gospels and you see the ministry of Jesus Christ, that is the ministry of God the Father. Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And so as we read the words of Jesus, we're actually hearing the words of God the Father. So this is very important in our adoption process that God sent his representative into the world on his behalf to tell us exactly what he was thinking about us and and what he wanted to do for us. Well, not only is he sent from God and he's the son of God, but now we hear that he was born of a woman. Why is that important? You know, because we can sit back and, and we can ponder things like, well, why didn't Jesus just show up? Like, like, why didn't he just appear out of nowhere, right? God can do whatever he wants. God could have just sent his son as a fully grown person and lived in the world, and, and we would have just accepted him that way. Well, it's important that he was born of a woman. It was important that he was born into this world because he is like us. So not only is he like God, but he's like us. Is there anybody in this room, show of hands, that wasn't born to a woman in order to enter this world? For the record, anybody listening on the tape, no one has raised their hands. Everybody in the world has been born to a woman in order to be here. And so Jesus, to be like us, to be our representatives, and we're going to get to that in a moment, he had to be born of a woman, just like we were born of a woman. Jesus had to be born just as we were born so that as he grew, he could experience the very lives that we've experienced. And and we can take a moment and, and we might ask, well, yeah, but Jesus had different experiences than I've had. Well, that's what makes him human. All of us humans have had different experiences throughout our lives. That's what it means to be human, is that we all have a personal choice. We all have our own personalities. So for Jesus to be fully human, he had to have his own experiences, his own choices, his own decisions in life. He had to grow up just as we grew up. 
And so Paul is making the point that Jesus is not only a representative of God from God, he was born into our world, so now he acts as a representative of us. Fully God from God, fully human experiencing everything we experience as humans. And he goes on a little bit farther and he says, not only was he born uh, of a woman, he was born under the law. Now, there's another way of phrasing this, and, and, and I think this is where Paul is getting at, is he was born under the same expectations of righteousness that we have. All right? So God called his people. God gave his people the law there in the Old Testament. You'll see it in Exodus, Leviticus, and and Numbers and Deuteronomy, these are the expectations that God has for his people. When Jesus was born, he was born under those expectations. He was born under the same Ten Commandments that you and I were born under. But here's the difference. When you and I were born under the Ten Commandments or the Old Testament law, this expectation of righteousness that God has in our lives, we can't fulfill that on our own. Paul even talks about this in the book of Romans where he says the law is good, but the law isn't able to make righteousness within the heart. And so what happens is we hear, am I still on? Oh, okay. Uh, what happens is when we, when we hear a law or an expectation of righteousness, we actually want to do the sin that it forbids us to do. I'll give you an example. When you were a kid, and your parents said, don't look, what did you do? You looked. When your parents said, don't touch that, what did you do? You touched it right away. And then when they caught you touching it, I don't know if any of you went this step further, where'd you put your finger? As close to touching it as possible, but I'm not touching it. See, that's the sin that we have in our heart. We hear the expectations of the law. We hear, do not covet, do not steal, do not lie. And for some reason, when we hear that, it's within our heart to covet. It's within our heart to lie. It's within our heart to take what isn't ours. So the difference between us and Jesus is Jesus fulfilled those expectations he wasn't born with sin in his heart. He wasn't born a fallen person. He was born just as God. He was born as God, so now he's able to fulfill those expectations, and he's able to go back to God and be our perfect representatives. Do you see the difference? We could go to God and represent ourselves, but we've broken the law. We've sinned against God. So when we go to God and he says, well, have you sinned against me? We have to tell the truth and say, yeah, yeah, I've sinned against you. So we're not very good representatives. But when Jesus goes to God, he's able to re represent us as humans perfectly. So when God looks at Jesus and says, have you broken the law? Jesus can say, no, I haven't. And I'm representing all of humanity when I say, I am righteous. I have fulfilled the law. So this is the legal process that God brings us through in order to be adopted. So what are the results of this? Well, first is we actually are adopted by God. And Paul says you have been adopted as sons of the Father. It's really important, by the way, that we take this word son and we understand what it means when Paul is writing it. 
Because we do believe in equality. We do believe that man and woman were created equal, both in the image of God. But back in Paul's day, legally, only men could receive an inheritance from their father. Uh, very few times, and it was usually in the wealthy, rich class, that women were able to be heirs to the family. Any other time, it had to be a son to receive the property. So when Paul is looking at his congregation or writing to his congregation, and he's speaking to both men and women, and he says, you all are sons of the Father, it's actually a legal statement that says, you all are able to be adopted. You're all able to receive what the Father has for you. And what does this adoption look like? Well, Paul says back in chapter 3, this adoption that we have is we're now able to move from servants of God or slaves of God, people that are trying to fulfill the law. We're trying to do the right thing. Well, now that we're adopted, we don't have to try to do the right thing. We can actually do it. Now that, now that we're sons and, and uh, children of God, we are able to have Jesus' righteousness fulfilled in our heart. John Wesley, uh, one of our church fathers, writes a sermon about this, and how he explains it is he says it's, it's kind of like going, imagine, imagine in your own household if you weren't your parents' children, but you were hired. Imagine if you were a servant to your parents, what would you have to do? Well, you would have to fulfill expectations, right? You would have to do the job that they assigned you, and, and the relationship that you would have would be very much, if I do all of the right things, I get to stay here as a family. But what happens when you're a child of, of your family? You, you don't have to try to fulfill expectations. You just live in that relationship of love. And John Wesley says that what happens in our hearts is we spend our lives afraid of God. We spend our lives acting like, okay, if I just do the right thing, if I, if I follow the law as best as I can, I can go to God and he'll let me live in heaven when I die. But what happens when we truly meet with God and, and, and we become Christians, we're forgiven of our sins? Well, this adoption process happens, and we're actually able to be true children of God. Now, there's still expectations to be met, but those expectations are different. Those expectations now that we have with God are that he loves us, and because he loves us, we do what that love calls us to do. We're able to fulfill it. So this adoption process, it's a legal process, but it's a very important process that occurs in our hearts where we go from wanting to do the right thing to wanting uh, to be in a relationship with God. Now we move over and we're actually in a relationship with God. We're actually his children. Well, what are the results of this? What happens when we truly are in a relationship with God and we're children of God? Well, Paul says first, he sends his spirit into our hearts. Uh, and, and specifically, he says, uh, God sends forth the spirit of his son, which means Christ's presence is in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that's called? That's called assurance. You are assured within your heart that you're a child of God. 
And I know that's a tough thing for a lot of Christians to go through, is that question of, am I really a Christian? Has God really called me to be his child? Well, one of the benefits that we're given, uh, you might call it a privilege that God gives to us, is that when we begin to follow him, when we become his children, we know it. There's no question about it. We're able to feel him inside of us. We're able to go about our Christian lives knowing where we're going to end up because we've received his son. And then what happens after this is when he sends his spirit to give us assurance that we are Christians, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, what what does this word mean, Abba? Well, it's actually just another word for Father. Uh, You have the Aramaic word, which is Abba, and then you have the Greek word, which we translate as Father. Why is Paul using two different words? It's because he wants to get the point across. He knows that there's people within the congregation that speak another language, and so he's really trying to drive the point home. What is our relationship with God now? Now that Jesus has come into the world, now that he's become our representative, what can we call him? Well, he says to the Greek speakers, you can call him Father. And then he says to the the Aramaic speakers, well, now you can call him Abba. He says to the English speakers, you can call him Daddy. Uh, He says to the Spanish speakers, you can call him, uh, what's the Spanish, is it Poppy? I think so. I don't speak Spanish, I'm sorry. I went way out of my realm here. The point is, Paul is trying to drive the point home that God is now our Father. The title we give him is Dad. When we come home, or, or when he comes home, so to speak, we can say, Dad is home. I'm in a relationship with him. When we talk to other children who are following other religions, we can say, yeah, well, my dad can beat your dad up. Now, I wouldn't use that in evangelism. But the point is, the relationship we have with God now is a personal relationship where within our hearts, we look at him and say, that's my dad, that's my father, that's the one that loves me. And then finally, and we talked a little bit about this, one of the results of this adoption is that we are now heirs with Jesus for whatever God has. So whatever God has given Jesus... Whatever God, maybe I'm not supposed to say that. Well, maybe. Testing. There we go. Sorry about that. Well, one of the things we have now as heirs with Jesus Christ is we receive from God exactly what Jesus has. So just like when we look at Jesus and we see a perfect representation of who God the Father is, we look at Jesus and we see what God has promised us. Now we can do the things that we're supposed to do under the law. Now we can follow it perfectly. Now we can love people. Now we can preach the gospel. We can preach just like Jesus preached and say, uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, these are the things that God has promised Jesus that now come to us. And I think of some of the foster homes that we used to license where a child would be adopted by that home. And, and what happens? They're not just adopted, but they receive a new last name. Uh, now, now when that family goes anywhere, they're listed 
not just as a legal child, they're listed in a way that assumes that they are a biological child of that household. This is the same with us. We are now heirs with Jesus to God the Father so that whatever has been promised to him is now promised to us. But what does this have to do with us in the Christmas season? I, you know, uh, you didn't think you would come to church and hear a deposition on, on why Jesus came into the world. But this is really important for us because what this tells us is the Christmas season is our adoption season. The Christmas season, when we see that Jesus came into the world and we see that, that Jesus was born of a woman, born under law, what we now see is the work that God put in to making sure that we are now part of his household, making sure that we are now children of his and we're able to receive all of the benefits of heaven that he has for us. This is a beautiful season because now we can live in a way that's just as God intended. And you know what's amazing about all of this is not only was God willing to go through the legal battle of adopting us as children, he wanted to do it. He wanted to go through this. He wanted to call us his kids, but he had to do something first. Now, back to Judge Pittman. I told you he was a tough guy. I was afraid to go into his courtroom, but there he comes out just, I mean, just happy. I love Adoption Day. Probably one of the most beautiful parts of that Adoption Day is when the adoption finally took place. He did what all judges do to enact their ruling. He took his gavel, banged it, and, he, uh, and I forget the wording exactly, but he basically pronounced those kids uh, now as children of this family. And he got up off of the bench, went down, shook the parents' hands, and gave the children a hug. And then took pictures with the whole family, everybody that was a part of the process of their adoption, he took pictures with them. I, and I, I vaguely remember the bailiff taking the pictures for him. What's the point of that? God was willing to go through the legal battle just so that he could adopt you, get up, give you a hug, and invite you into his family. That is a beautiful message that we have for the Christmas season. It's a beautiful message as Christmas is approaching here in just a week to, to have that reminder that when Jesus came into this world, he came to make sure that we were adopted by God the Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for that process that you put us through. We thank you for the process of adoption that we are now able to call you our father. We are now able to call you our dad. You are now looking at us with full love. And now we can look at Jesus as our brother. Uh, now, Lord, we can do exactly what you've called us to do. So, Lord, we pray that you remind us of that adoption here this week leading up to Christmas, that as we look at your son, we would remember that we too are your children. Amen.